Okay, welcome to another one of our webinar series. This time we're talking about Vietnam. So we're answering all your frequently asked questions about Vietnam adventure travel. And as always, we have Trish Sayre, the founder and director of Bike Hike, sitting here uh, ready to answer all of your questions and tell you about the highlights of traveling to Vietnam with Bike Hike. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. So we're going to go through a number of your frequently asked questions, and then we have a few that have been emailed in. And then we also have a special guest today, Professor Patrick Blaine. And he recently went on a trip to Vietnam with us, taking a group of his students, actually. So Patrick's here, and he'll offer a few of his insights about travel to Vietnam as well. So welcome, Patrick. Hi, I'm looking forward to it. Nice to hear from you, Trish and Tracy. Thanks again for joining the call. It's always great to have another perspective. So we'll just sort of dive into the questions here. And actually, before we start diving into the questions, though, um, one of the most important things that we like to talk about is the history of bike hike in Vietnam. So what kind of gives us the expertise to actually be able to talk about Vietnam? So Trish, how long has bike hike been operating in Vietnam? Vietnam was one of our early destinations many, many years ago, and it's been approximately 12 or 13 years that we've been doing Vietnam trips right now. So, and it's been one of our most popular destinations since very, the very beginning. And have you seen a lot of change over that time in Vietnam, or has it been a fairly, has travel to Vietnam been fairly consistent? I have seen change. When we first started operating trips there, there were not as many travelers as there are now. Um, Vietnam is definitely becoming more of a popular destination. It is still very possible to get off the beaten track in Vietnam so that you're not encountering masses of tourism like you see in, in many different locations around the world. But numbers have definitely been growing throughout the years for Vietnam. Um, you love all the destinations that Bike Hike operates, of course, but you can say a little bit about why Southeast Asia is a little bit special. I definitely love Southeast Asia. One of the reasons I love Southeast Asia is I, I spent two years living in Thailand more than 20 years ago, and I was living with a local family in a village. I was the only foreigner on the island and living off the land as the local people were. I was very much like a Thai at, at that time of my life. And for me, one of the things that I love about travel is the people. To me, it's the people that make a destination more than anything. And you have such a strong connection with the people in this region of the world, Thailand, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Myanmar. They're, they're so culturally rich, there's so many ethnic groups, and they love, absolutely love, encountering people from the other other parts of the world, especially on bicycles. So I think for me, you just get a very strong sense of culture on trips like this, mm -hmm. and, and destinations like this. And you can see a lot of that in the actual photo that we have mm -hmm. up right now. Yeah, this is a very, this was a special moment actually on this trip because as you're cycling on trips like this, you're always encountering local people. 
and we stop along the way all the time to interact with them and, and to hear about their lives and sometimes get invited into their homes. So this was just another moment along <laughs> on a bike hike trip in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now let's dive into the frequently asked questions when people are considering trips to Vietnam. So one of the top questions we always get asked is what is the best time of year to travel to Vietnam? So it depends on where in the country you're going. Um, our, our trips happen in the north part of Vietnam, starting from Hanoi and going north. There's four seasons that happen in the north of Vietnam, and the, the winter time is December to March, which is the coolest time of the year. May to August is their summer, which is hot and humid, and summer is also the rainy season, so perhaps not the best time to be there. But um, and then in the southern part of Vietnam, you have two main seasons, the wet and the dry. Wet is May through November, and dry is December through April. So the typhoon season happens in Vietnam throughout August and November. So that's when you're going to get the most rain throughout the country. But throughout the country, they have average temperatures in the north, maybe 80 degrees Fahrenheit and like 27 Celsius. And in the south, or sorry, that was in the south. And in the north, maybe 70 degrees Fahrenheit and 21 degrees Celsius. On average, they're definitely cooler. Well. Okay, so as so one of the next logist oh there's a great little <laughs> that's in that's in Sapa. That's on our trekking through Sapa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, the trek there goes through both sides of the valley and it's it's really an outstanding trek. Um it's uh there's a little bit there's some technical parts to it, but nothing um nothing that really gets above the, the high end of moderate and it's it's so beautiful. You go through so many little little villages on the way. Uh, it's a really fun, really fun trek. Mm -hmm. And they're smiling, so they're showing that they're having a lot of fun. <laughs> um, so one of the next technical questions that tops the list of uh, frequently asked questions is what do, where does one fly to start a trip in Vietnam and what airlines can they use to get there? So depending on where you're actually doing a trip, but for our trip again in the north, we would fly into Hanoi. And if you're starting from the, the south of Vietnam, you'd fly into Ho Chi Minh City which is also Saigon. And there are many major carriers that fly into Vietnam. There would be uh, Thai Airways, Cathay Pacific, Japan Airlines, Singapore Airlines, uh, um, Korean Airlines. I think a couple of the North American airlines may fly in there as well with some of their partners. Each of those destinations will or each of those airlines will stop in their hub city. And if it's Cathay, it would be Hong Kong. If it's Seoul or Korea, Korean Airlines, it would be Seoul and so forth. If you're arranging your own travel, typically you have to arrange the domestic and international um, parts separately. So um, that can take a little bit of a little bit of doing. But in our case, we use Delta domestically and uh, Korean, who is their partner um, internationally. and uh, uh, we had a we had a fine experience on Korean Airlines. The service was great. So Patrick, when you went, did you have to actually book two separate tickets? Did not Delta do a through fare for you, just with partnering with another airline? No, at least with Delta, um, it was necessary to to ticket separately. Um, and the itinerary was since they're partner airlines, the itinerary was um, 
was essentially together, but but the actual booking had to occur wow. separately. Um, and we did that through uh, through an external agency and, and got um, what I think was a was a pretty uh, good price on that booking. Okay, perfect. Okay, that's good to know. Um, okay, so next sort of technical thing to get out of the way is whether or not people need to arrange a visa to travel to Vietnam. So it really depends on the country that you're originating from, your, the country where your citizenship is from, but we'll focus on North Americans here. So Canadians and Americans do need a visa to enter Vietnam. It's possible to do a visa in advance, which we recommend because at least you, by doing it in advance, you're going to get get it over with quickly. You'll, you'll pass through customs, show them your visa, and you're into the country. If you don't have a lot of time, you're booking last minute, it is possible to get one last minute. We would have to get you a letter of recommendation or your tour supplier would have to get a letter of recommendation, and then you will have to enter an additional line upon arrival after customs to, to enter with your, to get your visa upon arrival. So it's always kind of nicer to get it in advance. If you have the time, we'd highly suggest you get it in advance. We did ours in advance, and and uh, I would highly recommend that route, especially you know as an individual, um, you know you might. Um, decide what you want to do, but if you're traveling with a group, it's it's highly recommendable to go through the Vietnamese consulate in the country that you're in and um, take care of things that way. For the United States, um, the New York consulate of Vietnam is probably the best one to work with, and um, uh, I would budget in time about uh, a month of turnaround time just to be safe. Um, they get you your stuff back in usually um, about a week, a week and a half, but you know, I would say to budget at least three weeks just to be on the safe side. And um, the fees are very reasonable. It's uh, somewhere around the neighborhood of $100 um, uh, in visa fees. And um, it's, it's, uh, the forms can be um, uh, a little bit confusing. They're online forms, but after you fill out 20, you'll be, uh, you'll be an expert. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so the next technical question is whether or not there are any vaccinations that one needs to get before going to Vietnam. So we're not physicians here, so we're really not qualified to give medical advice. But what we do suggest everybody does is check with the Center for Disease Control website they keep an updated website of the entire world and any outbreaks that do come out and you'll be able to see what all of those are and then you can definitely speak with your travel physician and they'll be able to give you the advice. Maybe you may not necessarily need to make everything suggested on the website but you can have a discussion with, like that with your doctor. And something again to keep in mind that many of those inoculations do require advanced time in advance. So maybe some of them up to a month in advance. Yeah, even more than that, um, for some of them, if you look at hepatitis A and B, that's usually in a three-shot series, and so um, it's it's good to, to budget um, sometimes uh, four or five months before your planned departure date um, for some of those vaccinations that, that may be recommended. Um, and uh, it's also good to, to look into it ahead of time in terms of, of the cost. Um, because there, there are definitely options, and and um, there's uh, 
there can be a significant uh, cost difference between the different vaccination options. So looking at that ahead of time um, really saves you a lot of headaches. Um, so I would personally recommend four or five months before departure if you can get it in, if not more. It never hurts to look into it um, even further ahead of time if you're uh, planned that far ahead of time. Yeah, it's one of those things that there's a few different things that are important to look in advance and vaccinations is always a good one. Okay, so that brings us to another question, a little bit about advanced planning. Um, a lot of people ask how fit they need to be to travel to Vietnam, specifically with bike hike. With bike hike. So our Vietnam trips, to, we have two Vietnam trips, one being Vietnam only and one Vietnam and Cambodia. Both of them are rated as moderate on the activity level, which means approximately four to five hours of physical activity throughout the day with lots of breaks. On the biking portion of the trip, that would generally be the harder part of the trip because it's more cardiovascular, but there's always a support vehicle following us. So if tired riders ever want to jump in, they can. They never have to carry anything on their backs because the support vehicle can do that for them. The hiking portion of the trip is the most you might have to carry on your back is a day pack. If that, um, some people will not even need a day pack. And it's, a, again, at a very casual pace because we're interacting with local people along the way the entire way. So it's not the type of trip where you're putting your head down and just going. In fact, none of our trips are like that. Um, and then the sea kayaking, very leisurely, two to three hours of paddling in a day. Mm -hmm. And this is one where you might be able to offer a little bit, Patrick, in terms of you had a wide range of fitness level and whatnot on your trip. Um, so what was your experience taking the, you know, the 20 students as well as a few other adults um, on this trip? Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with that. Um, our our um, age difference was between roughly 20 years old and um, 63 or 64 years old uh, with an average age somewhere around 30 or 35. Um, and uh, the fitness levels were, were kind of across the board as well. Um, we had some very fit people and some very not fit people, um, some people with better balance than others. Uh, but everyone was able to, to navigate the activities, um, you know, uh, with anything moderate, um, you know, there, there may be, you know, a hill that you have to walk up that, you know, that, that will definitely win the, the weaker members of the group. Um, or, you know, um, perhaps someone is not as strong a paddler as others, but in terms of the, the, the level of difficulty, um, it, was, it was quite manageable for everyone. Um, that's not to say that, you know, uh, moderate, moderate is not easy, so there are definitely some challenging bits. And there's a lot of places where, you know, if, if you get a, a, a variety of types of people in your group or that you're traveling with, um, the, the more fit people will have an opportunity to, to kind of um, do something a little bit faster or break off, um, you know, slightly to maybe do that other hill or what have you, um, whereas the people who are uh, dragging a little bit more, you know, we'll still be able to get through the activity and occasionally, you know, um, there'll be a time during, you know, the halfway point where they might be able to get on a support vehicle and be a little more comfortable. 
but uh, it's yeah, the, the activity levels are manageable um, in all three types of activity, in the biking, the hiking, and the kayaking. Um, one, one thing that we found particularly good was that um, uh, the, the guy was constantly giving us water um, whenever we would um, finish an activity or before we started. Um, so the pace, the pace is, is really well managed um, by the guides and, um, and the guides are also really attentive to the fact that you know, not, there's, no, there's not a uniform fitness or ability level within a group and, and they do their best to kind of um, take care of people and make sure that the group as a whole is staying together and, and uh, progressing well. Excellent, that's what we like to hear. <laughs> Okay, so we've kind of covered these next couple questions because they kind of, um, oh yeah, and here's a, <laughs> here's a shot of the guide Wa on another trip with another group, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Wa is absolutely spectacular. He's a, he's a very, very nice guy and, um, and really just um, uh, did, did an amazing job with our group. Uh, everybody, everybody really formed a, a close connection with him. Yeah, he really likes to go above and beyond and bend over backwards and <laughs> to, to make sure the trip is everything everyone um, hopes it'll be and more. So, and you can tell he's a really happy character too because he's got a great smile on his face and the travelers are smiling too. <laughs> so everyone's happy. <laughs> he's very fun-loving and playful, but, um, but he's also a very good group manager and and he really tends to anticipate people's needs rather than reacting to them, which which um, really goes a long way if you're looking at um, 10 or 12 days um, with with some you know, um, you know every day having a, uh, at least some kind of you know somewhat challenging physical activity. It's really nice to have him there, uh, always kind of thinking ahead about what people are going to need and monitoring the monitoring everybody's situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and how long has Wa been doing this? He's been doing it from the very, very beginning. He's He's been with us, whew, but for the very first trip I was ever on, he was on my scouting trip with me. Wow. Yeah, so he's he's got experience behind him. Yes. <laughs> so that's why he's so good at what he does. <laughs> and he's a local to where in Vietnam? I don't recall where he is originally from. He's, he lives in Hanoi. But I don't recall mm -hmm. if he's originally from Hanoi or not. He said he was from somewhere out in the country, and um, and uh, but spent a really significant amount of time in in Sapa, and so from from that experience and and from um, you know living in Hanoi, I mean he's he, he's just so familiar with the the areas that the trip travels in. Uh, it's really just a great resource. Excellent. Okay, so what are the basics a person needs to pack for a trip to Vietnam? So taking into account weather and all of the things that they would find most necessary. So again, it really depends on the type of trip that you're doing in Vietnam, but if you're doing a multi-sport adventure, we always recommend bring mostly synthetic clothing with you. Um, quick dry pants, shorts, it's a primarily warm climate, so Pants and shorts are fine, shorts, short sleeve shirts, long sleeve shirts. You should always have a waterproof jacket along, regardless of the season, and with a hood ideally, so a Gore-Tex jacket. Lightweight, 
hiking shoes that you can bike and hike in are perfect for a trip like this. And some type of water sandal or footwear that will stay on your foot if you're in the water, in and out of the water, like a Keen or a Teva is perfect for something like this. Sunscreen, bug repellent, always a must on trips like this. Those are the, pretty much the basics. Yeah, I'd say if you if you can pack a little bit, um, you, you want to try to avoid overpacking because there's a lot of moving around um, on the trips from hotels to trains to uh, buses, etc., um, and boats. And so, um, in in our experience, anyway, um, uh, my wife who my wife also went on the trip with us, and we both thought that we had really overpacked because. Um, at least for us, there were a number of opportunities to, to do laundry every three or four days um, for a very modest price. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, kind of overpacking is not really necessary, but you want to really look for versatility in your clothing, especially with the three sports um, kind of concern. And so, keen sandals, like Trish said, are, are absolutely ideal. You can use them in the wet and the dry. Um, and uh, a decent pair of, you know, either trail running shoes or, or hiking, light, light hiking boots are sometimes good. And then uh, the synthetics are, are good as well. You want to make sure, um, particularly for women but also for men, to, to have some kind of light piece of clothing with you that you can put over yourself to go to temples and pagodas because there are a number of them that you, that you go into and, and it's just a matter of, of showing respect there. Right, yeah. Um, so that is important. Um, mm -hmm. and, and another thing to note about packing in Vietnam, a lot of headquarters for a lot of the, the, in, the outdoor gear companies, maybe not headquarters, but a lot of the factories. Like the manufacturing. Manufacturing factory, yeah. plants are in Asia and in Vietnam, there are definitely places that you can find good outdoor gear for sale. Now, you have to be careful because a lot of it is fake, but the guides will definitely be able to let you know what is the real deal out there. And I, I bought a North Face pack in Vietnam for $25. Mm -hmm. That same North Face pack in Canada would have probably cost me $150. Yeah. Yeah, you'll find yourself, um, you know, picking up all sorts of little odds and ends in those stores. Um, everything from, you know, a wide brim hat because you would prefer that instead of a, a ball cap, or um, you know, all sorts of bags and sandals and shoes. Um, and so, if you you really don't have to to worry too much if you happen to forget some piece of equipment. Um, most of the things that since all the equipment is provided, the major equipment, most of the things you would need are just uh, clothing, and and all that is is very uh, easy to find in, in Vietnam, and for a very cheap price. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. So you know, it's not the case everywhere, but at least in Vietnam, if, if you forget something um, that you think is critical, you can usually find it temporarily while you're there. Okay, so the next thing people are wondering about is whether or not Vietnam is cheap, and we kind of alluded to this a little bit, the fact that you can pick up some things for fairly cheap, but just in general, um, 
Trish, what can you say about the overall expense of Vietnam for outside expenses, outside of your standard trip cost? Compared to the costs in North America, Vietnam is very economical. You can have a foot massage for an hour for $5. Meals are relatively very inexpensive and you'll get multiple plates of food. Um, hotel prices, the hotel prices can depend obviously on the level of hotel that you're staying in, but overall the country is a de a definitely an economical country. And how much do you usually say for someone to budget to spend when they are on a trip in Vietnam? Like for so on a trip like ours, where most of the trip is inclusive, we would tell people three to five hundred dollars of spending money, and so your additional expenses again will be your visa, which you'll get in advance, your departure taxes. Some airline tickets include departure taxes, some do not. Um, your tips to your local guide, any items of personal nature along the way that you want, and but Vietnam is an amazing destination for shopping. There's a lot of arts and crafts. They're fantastic with the artisan, uh, all, all of it, like a lot of wood products and lots of bamboo, which is wood, but lot, just lots of beautiful art products that you can buy in Vietnam. So I, if you're a shopper, I would definitely suggest bringing some extra money for, for shopping. Are you a shopper, Trish? Absolutely. <laughs> What? <laughs> this, so this kind of ties, <laughs> this kind of ties into our next question, which is, um, what are the cultural highlights? But um, what one of your cultural highlights quite often is the things that you can shop for. So can you say a few of the things that were your favorite things that you found, or the favorite places to shop in uh, in Vietnam? So Hanoi, I, I think, is wonderful to shop because there's so many shops in Hanoi that sell so many different things from paintings to porcelain pieces of art, chopsticks and little wood products, little plates and things. Um, sometimes like outdoor gear, like we mentioned earlier on, um, lots of outdoor gear, um, just beautiful pieces of art. There's a lot of really nice lacquer. A lot of what, sorry, Patrick? There's a lot of really nice lacquer work in Vietnam. If um, if you're into painted wood with lacquer, uh, it's some beautiful work, um, and uh, especially in Sapa, um, some some really nice textile work that you can find. Um, Very much so. We bought we bought an enormous piece of textile work for, I think it was something in the neighborhood of thirty five dollars. And yeah. if you had bought something like that that was imported to a U.S. store, you would have been probably in the three hundred dollar range at least. Yeah, and many people actually bring patterns with them to Vietnam and get clothing made for them while they're there, suits, dresses. Right. But you have to have time for that. So that would require a couple mm -hmm. of days staying in Hanoi before the trip would start to do something like that or afterwards. Mm -hmm. and Especially in Hanoi, there's there all manners of things to buy. I mean, whatever your imagination can really uh, can can uh, come up with, you can you can find so many things to buy there. And so, Trish, what are some of your cultural highlights as a whole in Vietnam? So Vietnam is very culturally rich because there are over 50 ethnic groups throughout Vietnam. 
their own languages, their own cultures, their own unique dress that they, they dress and they dress like this every day, um, and their own customs. So for me, as I said earlier on, people is such a, it is why I, I love traveling to different places and especially those destinations that are very culturally rich. So you have so many opportunities to interact with the different ethnic groups throughout a trip like this. You'll encounter them on their water buffaloes, working in the rice fields. Sometimes we'll visit schools on some of our trips. We do that on many of our trips where you'll have a chance to encounter that. Again, the cultural aspect of you know the, the arts and crafts of the countryside, of the cities, and even just Hanoi itself and its chaos because it's so it's such a chaotic city in terms of there's motorbikes coming at you in every single well not in every direction but on the roads there's no lines for the traffic so there's just motorbikes coming constantly weaving in and out of each other and if you have to cross the road in Hanoi it's definitely a challenge at first, <laughs> but it's an art, and eventually you'll actually probably enjoy doing it. It's and Patrick, you can talk a little bit about that because you have experience with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, there, there's a there's a very um, uh, Hua, the guy that explained to us on our first day in Hanoi the the method for doing this, which is surprisingly simple. If you um, decide that you're going to cross the street and then you you figure out when you're going to start and you just put your foot on the street and you keep moving slowly and don't stop and people will people will very easily um drive around you and um and and anticipate where you're going um if you do that um you'll you'll be fine it's uh everything from from cars to trucks to buses to 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 the the little uh, scooters which are most of the traffic um, you know, they're they're very good about and, and the bicycles. Um, they're very good about uh, kind of moving around you, and so all you have to do is remain calm and and cross at a slow, even pace, and you'll be just fine. <laughs> yeah, so there is definitely a method to the madness. Um, mm -hmm. So, Patrick, what would you say were some of the cultural highlights for you in Vietnam? Um, taking the group of students that you took there and or just for for yourself what really stood out culturally for you any moment yeah, um, there I'd say for from a cultural perspective um, probably the the richest time for us um, was was in Sapa um, just because uh, things move so much slower there and there are there are many fewer people and um, that's when we did you know a lot of our more substantial um, biking and, and hiking through small villages and and so we really had a chance to you know one day um, interact with and 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 eat inside the home of, of, um, of some red Zhao people mm -hmm. and and, um, and the next day we we um, were with uh, with the Hmong people um, and just in that in that particular corner of Vietnam you know there are so many ethnic groups and languages and and they were all very open and happy to talk with us and uh, you know we learned how to say rooster in in three different languages and um, it was a um, it was it was really a nice thing to be able to you know Trish mentioned going into schools um, on our hike we we went into 
the school, and we weren't able to get into the classroom, but we we were uh, able to walk around the grounds of the school and really get a sense of what the classrooms look like and and see some of the students. Um, and um, but uh, you know, constantly throughout the trip, whether we were in Halong Bay or in Hanoi or wherever it was, the nature of the trip was such that you know we were always walking or biking or paddling. Um, you know through places rather than than um, riding on a bus or something like that. I mean, um, only when we had to move from one city or region to another were we on kind of a closed motorized transportation. And the rest of the time, we, we just had all these uh, you know, really incredible experiences getting to meet people and talk to them. So one of the things I was wondering about, Patrick, was um, when I was speaking with you prior to recording this webinar, you had mentioned that bike hike, um, there were certain reasons why you chose bike hike and you chose Vietnam. So I'm curious if you could speak a little bit about that as to what made you actually choose to go to Vietnam on this trip and why with bike hike. Sure. Um, we, uh, well, by, um, my, my area of specialty as an academic is Latin American studies, and so I've traveled um, around Latin America and Spain and Europe um, really extensively, but I'd never been to Asia before, and it presented a, a unique opportunity. Um, and one of the other people going on the trip was an Asian historian who had never been to, to Vietnam either, and um, so we were really interested in that as a destination. Um, uh, uh, Thailand um, you know, was a first thought, but um, you know, in my opinion, at least, Thailand is is kind of um, overdone at this point, and so we wanted to go to some places that that were uh, not kind of completely overrun and and just provided a unique experience. And why bike hike specifically is that we were looking for uh, an agency that was able to do both outdoors activities, which I like very much and, and our students really enjoy, um, and, and enjoying natural spaces and, and, and being active and um, actually inhabiting a space and moving through it rather than just looking at it. Um, and um, But we wanted an agency that was able to do that um, and the cultural portions, um, you know, whether it be museums or uh, meeting um, you know, a number of different groups and, and getting to interact with people, you know, sit down and have meals with them or, or, um, or have, uh, have tea with a family. Um, and we wanted to find an agency that was able to integrate both of those types of experiences rather than kind of trying to do them separately or piecemeal. And Bike Hike um, definitely did that. Um, you know, it, it looked like the, the company would provide that sort of service from the the, uh, from the, the materials um, that they provide on the website and elsewhere. Um, and, and that's definitely what they delivered. It was, it was uh, a very well integrated um, service and, and our guide um, who uh, was excellent in moving our group through our, our outdoors and physical activities was also really knowledgeable about you know, the cultural background of the places that we were going and um, you know, really made places like the Museum of War in Hanoi, uh, or the War Museum, um, you know, 
come alive because he, he knew uh, a great deal about um, the, the different things we were seeing. Um, but also, you know, if we happened to be in a pagoda, he would be able to tell us about, um, you know, the, the Confucian origins of, of some of the, the architecture and artwork or, you know, the, the representations of Buddhism there. And so, um, you know, it was really, it was really kind of one-stop shopping and, and, and met a lot of the criteria that we were looking for for meaningful and, and substantive adventure travel. Um, and so we were we were very happy with the fact that Bike was able to do that so well. Yeah, that's great to hear because that's definitely what we like to think that makes Bike Hike stand out is that it's not just a hodgepodge of activities, but it's a very integrated and very immersive, um, people-focused, relationship-focused um, experience. Absolutely. Connecting the world through active travel. That's our slogan, and that's why... Yeah, no, again, because, and I think you said it quite well, Patrick, as well, the, the fact that, you know, just getting to some of these places was, you know, through the mode of transit, like the kayak or the biking that you chose, um, that was part of the itinerary, um, actually became the cultural experience as well, because it wasn't just about, you know, riding your bike there, but riding your bike there got you to meet these people along the way or to, you know, have Wa point out certain things along the way because you were taking that route. Absolutely. I mean, uh, the food um, was also a particularly great part of the experience. Um, the, there was a real um, you know, incredible variety of different types of uh, fish and shellfish. And we had um, just, uh, just an amazing experience through the food and, and uh, for example, when we were on on the uh, boat in Halong Bay, um, we had in our boat that we had to ourselves had its own chef, and the chef did some really beautiful, amazing um, garnishes with uh, mangoes and tomatoes. For example, turning tomatoes into beautiful roses, or mangoes into birds, um, and so we got to see all that. But he also um, taught us you know, the last day we were on the boat how to actually make those. And so some of our people got to try their hand at taking a very large knife and turning a mango into a, uh, <laughs> into a, uh, into a bird. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the food in, in all the places we were at was, was outstanding. And, and they tended to be served family style. Um, and for the main meals, um, the, especially the dinners, they tended to be somewhere in the neighborhood of four to six courses. Um, the lunches on the boat were about um, four or five courses, and the, the dinners were six-plus courses. And there was always fresh fruit, dragon fruit, mangoes, and watermelon, and other things like that for, for dessert. But, um, you know... Uh, the food, the food was definitely, you know, some of the things were, were new and adventurous, but a lot of things were familiar. And because it was, you know, many dishes served family style. If there was a particular thing that someone didn't want to eat, um, they, there were many other things for them for them to eat and try. And in all of the restaurants and boat and the boat when we were on that and all those places, if someone had specific dietary requirements or allergies. They were really, um, they were really uh, 
uh, responsive about about catering to those specific needs. So we're really happy about that, and and a lot of the strange food that we um, we opted to eat. It was definitely not uh, on the menu, but we we opted to eat many strange things. Yeah. So basically, there there was um, there was a lot of adventurous opportunities, but you could be sort of oblivious to some of the more adventurous items if if you wanted to, but you could yeah. come out if you wanted to as well. Absolutely, and and um, you know it's just a matter of um, of communicating with with the guide about what sorts of things uh, you might want to try if you're if you're really into to eating things that some people find appalling. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that that will often happen in a side room or away from everyone else, and you can you can try to make that part of your experience. Um, but if if someone uh, is a little more you know, touchy with with some of those things. Um, they're not going to be put off either, and um, and uh, even you know, for vegetarians, for example, um, it was perfectly um, easy for someone to be uh, a vegetarian and and have plenty of of good variety foods to eat there. Mm hmm Because yeah, I think that's one of the things that people are a little bit nervous about traveling to somewhere like Vietnam. They're a little bit nervous about. Uh, yeah, what will the food be like? Because you just always hear these sort of stories. So it's great to know that the adventurous stuff is there, but it's kind of in the background. And and Vietnam is also an easy destination. Patrick mentioned it already, but about the vegetarian. But we have lots of travelers who have dietary restrictions from gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan, vegetarian. Vietnam is one of those destinations that's easy to accommodate any of those dietary restrictions. Some destinations are not, but Vietnam is. How did you find um, Vietnam stood out from some of the other places that you have been because you have traveled extensively as it's sort of part of your work um, and then part of what you like to do outside of work as well, I guess. Um, how did Vietnam stand out for you from other destinations you've traveled? Um, it was uh, it was an interesting place because it, it's such a young country and and um, and everything is moving so fast and 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 Vietnam is is really developing um, so quickly um, kind of in the same way that China was you know, 30 or 40 years ago and so getting there right now and being able to see kind of this the formation of of, of this society and and how things are changing in in rural and urban areas um, was really cool. Um, the people were were really kind in Vietnam, and at the same time that that everything is moving fast and and everyone is 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 a go getter and working very hard all the time. Um, they've also got time to to sit down and and you know kind of in, enjoy a green tea together or. Um, tell you about their 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 family history in the place. One of the houses we went to um, had been inhabited by the same kind of clan or family um, for hundreds of years, and um, and they were able to tell us a bit about the history of their family uh, in the larger context of the Vietnamese history, um, and and that was that was really nice. Um, but yeah, in, in general. Um, as far as a national kind of character issue goes, um, you know, the Vietnamese are, are, in my limited experience, I would say they're a little more similar to, to, the, to the Chinese 
culturally speaking than, for example, Cambodia or Thailand. Um, it's uh, it, if you were looking for something to compare it to, it's definitely definitely a little bit more similar to to China in that way, but um, definitely a much kind of younger country and 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 exquisitely different. And I think that the diversity in Vietnam, the cultural diversity, is something that that really makes it an attractive destination. Mm -hmm. Okay, so another thing that I just wanted to talk a little bit about, um, because this is something that people are always asking about, and it has, and Trish, you can explain a little bit about the different types of trips that Bike Hike offers in Vietnam and how it relates to this, but, so what can people expect in terms of where they stay, like the accommodation in Vietnam? So we, again, um number of our different trips we have different variations so our bike hike and kayak northern Vietnam trip is all in three-star accommodation and we do have some nights of homestays and we have two nights in overnight trains so the three-star accommodations are boutique hotels they're very tastefully done beautifully decorated and three-star hotels in Vietnam are much higher level than they are in North America in North America, I'd assume a three-star hotel is more like a Super 8 or something of that sort, but they're much nicer than that in Vietnam. The homestays are very basic. You're staying in people's homes. There were guests in their homes, and every home is unique, as, as our homes are here. Um, some of those accommodations could be very, very thin mattresses on the floor. Some of them might actually just be a, a, a mat, like a straw mat on the floor. And then there would be... Uh, family would be cooking for us on charcoal in those homes. The family always cooks a, a big meal for us in those homestays. The, the, the trains are four people per berth, and there's uh, it's a sleeping train, so they're quite comfortable. Some people say they have challenges sleeping on a train. I personally love sleeping on a train. It rocks me to sleep. <laughs> uh, but they're, they're fairly comfortable for you know, a sleeping berth train. There's washrooms in every few carts. Then there would be our our active Indochina trip, which is all in four-star accommodation, and we designed that trip for those who need a little bit more comfort and really they just don't want the homestays because they're a little too basic for them. And the train is upgraded to a, a higher class of service as well for the train. Okay. Our accommodations were, were great the whole time. Um, we were in the three-star range, which I would agree is more like a four-star range in the U.S. And they're um, they're very comfortable hotels. Um, we were in hotels the whole time. Um, and uh, I would say the same about the train sleeping berth. Um, you know, their their uh, their trains are an aging system, but the but the sleeping berths are are very clean and well maintained and. Um, their their washroom and bathroom on the train are are just a few doors down from your sleeping berth, um, and uh, you know that's a uh, it's a perfectly fine way to spend an evening going up to Sapa and then coming back down to Hanoi. They're also air conditioned, um, and um, then on the boat, the uh, if if your trip includes the, the junk boats, the the cabins on the boats are very nice. Uh, they're Two people to a cabin, um, and uh, the cabins include a bathroom uh, with a nice shower, uh, with a kind of a slate floor, and a sink and a bathroom, or rather, a sink and a toilet. 
um, and uh, you know, uh, all of the accommodations we had were uh, were unique but really nice, and uh, especially the the boat we found. You know, we didn't at all expect how nice the cabins would be on the boat. They were really um, really uh, well maintained and, and a nice uh, nice little cabin and the dining room on the boat was very nice the sun deck as well it was was a really nice way to travel but even in Sapa uh, we really enjoyed our hotel rooms um, and in Hanoi was the same thing um, we were in a uh, it would have been like a European um, three or four star hotel um, and the, 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 the breakfasts at the hotels were great um, so it was it was a nice experience in terms of the the accommodations. Excellent, yeah, because I think that's something that people always have a lot of questions about. Because especially if they haven't traveled to Asia, they are always kind of wondering what to expect in terms of accommodations. So I think your answer and Trisha's explanation as well give people a lot of peace of mind. The next one that people are always sort of wondering about and planning for in advance is whether or not they should be expecting to tip the guides, whether or not it's important and how much. So Trish, how important is this and, and what do you recommend? It is important. It's not mandatory, but we highly recommend that you tip the guides and because they work very, very hard and it's just customary to really be tipping them, and especially for North Americans, we're used to that. So we recommend anywhere between eight to 10 US dollars per day for the guides. And when there is a driver for portions of the trip as well. We recommend about $5 per day, four, four to $5 per day for the driver. But there might not be a driver with you every single day throughout the trip, so it's not, you just have to add up how, how that would happen or how many days the driver has been with you. And then, and how, how important would you say it is to um, show the love to the guy through a tip? Like how important was your guide law to your trip? Uh, we wouldn't. Our trip wouldn't have been um, nearly half as enjoyable, um, nor half as safe, nor half as, uh, as as really you know effective if it hadn't been for for our guide. It's just such an essential part of the trip, and and Trish is right. I mean, they uh, they they really do bend over backwards, and and for if it's ten days, for example, that they're with you. I mean, they're basically with you from the time you wake up until the time you go to bed. Um, which means that they're they're up earlier and up later than than you are, and 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 there really are just a thousand details that they're constantly managing to keep you happy and safe, and and you know maybe uh, extra things that that you might want to do. Um, Wawa was really wonderful about you know walking through, um, say uh, you know a street in Hanoi and and finding uh, there was a street vendor for example of some kind of food that was a typical Vietnamese food and he would buy um, enough for everyone in the group to, to share some um, and you know it's all those little details that, that, that really add up that it's a tremendous amount of work on their part and um, you know, really it's uh, they're, they're going far above and beyond the basic requirements of their job duties and, and so therefore I think it's it's just um, it, it, it's a nice corresponding gesture to show your appreciation through a through a, through a good tip. Um, it's 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 how they make their living, and and so it's it's important. Uh, with the drivers, um, it's important to try to 
try to talk to your guide and figure out how long drivers are going to be around for because if they're not going to be back the next day or you're going on a train or you're going on a boat um, you may not be able to give your tip to them the next day and so it's it's sort of important to figure out how long your drivers are going to be around so that you can make sure to get them their tip before they disappear. Mm -hmm. Good point Patrick. Yeah that is a really good point because um, yeah the the main guide is with them for the entire time but it's just the the drivers and different things that would change up based on destiny, like where they are. It's usually the same driver throughout the trip. However, when you're on the boat, the driver's not with you, and then they'll usually come back later on. So they're in and out. Yeah, and same with the SAPA report. They're not with you every single day. But yeah, it's good to clarify like whether you're going to be seeing that, that one again or not, if you did feel you wanted to tip them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so the last little question that um, is one of the ones that we're always asked about Vietnam is just whether or not there's internet or sort of cell service in Vietnam and, and what to expect in that regard. Vietnam is really easy to get up on the internet. Most of the hotels, in fact, probably all of the hotels nowadays will have Wi-Fi. Um, so when you, you don't have to go, you don't have to go onto your data because you can actually pick up the Wi-Fi at the hotels. Um, when you're at the homestays, that's not going to be possible. You won't get Wi-Fi in Halong Bay, um, but some people like to travel with an unlocked phone and bring a SIM card, so they could make local calls that way. But a lot of data plans are a lot of travelers are travelers will pick up data plans as well. So if they are not able to get online in some specific places, they can do that with data. But that may not be possible in Halong Bay. I don't believe there is a, a cell connection in Halong Bay. Yeah, our, our experience, at least, was that there was no cell connection um, on the boat after you were about um, a mile out of out of port, um, and then coming back into port about a mile away, the cell connection picked up. But uh, that is a little kind of dark window where you. Um, you're not going to, to easily be able to, to communicate with, with, uh, with the outside world. And that's kind of a nice thing to have that little space of, of relief from text messages and emails and, and anything else. Um, and in Vietnam, uh, most U.S. carriers, uh, depending on what kind of phone you have, you'll want to check with your carrier. But depending on the phone, most U.S. carriers include Vietnam in their international plans, which will give you a lower price for um, cell and data use while you're there. And so you could very well um, be able to use your own phone the whole time without having to you know, buy a, a, a Vietnamese phone or a Vietnamese SIM card. Um, it's worth checking with your carrier. So that brings us to the end of the webinar. If there was anything that we didn't answer, it's very possible that we can still get an answer for you, uh, but these are, we've just sort of covered the top frequently asked questions that we are always getting emailed or asked on the phone. So hopefully this provided a little bit of insight and, and helped you think through the possibilities of traveling uh, to Vietnam. And again, if you did not get your question answered in this webinar and you still have a question, you can send us an email at info at bikehike.com. 
www.thepeacekeepers.com or you can give us a call at 888-805-0061 or our local number is 604-731-2442. That's a Vancouver number, so if you're calling internationally, you have to add a 1. Okay, so feel free to send an email or give us a phone call. Uh, don't be afraid to pick up the phone. We like to answer and talk to you as well. Um, it's nice to hear a voice sometimes <laughs> instead of all the emails uh, through the internet. And so thanks again, Patrick, for taking the time to add your um, perspective to some of these questions and, and talk a little bit about your experience traveling to Vietnam with Bike Hike and, and your group of students. Sure, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Patrick. You've been absolutely wonderful. You're very welcome. Anytime. <laughs>